Welcome to the Deep Sea Podcast. Today we're talking about all the ways that family and friends keep us afloat during our child's treatment. My best friend Sarah is here to talk about how she and our entire community figured out a way to just keep tossing out life preservers in the form of food and childcare, emotional support, how to sit in the pain with us and not try to make it better, and how to decorate our entire house for Christmas as a surprise after a long day of chemo. For all the friends and family members who act as our lighthouse in this terrible storm, this episode is for you. My name is Sam Taylor. I'm the parent to a childhood cancer survivor and the host of the Deep Sea Podcast, where we come together to talk to parents, caregivers, friends, and professionals who have been affected by childhood cancer. Hearing your child has been diagnosed can feel a lot like being ripped from life on land to suddenly being submerged deep into the ocean. It's disorienting, it's scary, and sometimes it's really hard to breathe. This podcast is for all of us who have supported a child through their diagnosis. It's where we'll come together to share the skills and coping strategies that have made it a little easier for us to breathe down here. But it's also a place for us to connect to feel heard, to find support, and to swim each other to shore. So, let's dive deep. When you carry me to water, you carry me away. So, I'm an only child, and I grew up with a single mom. And so, from a really young age, it was my mission to make my family. And I found my sisters in kindergarten and I found them in the neighborhood and I found them in the dorm at university. And I've been extremely fortunate to collect a family tree that is as sturdy and solid as an oak. One of my sisters is Sarah Blackwood and we raise our kids together. We do life together. And she's just always been my go-to. We start our days together at school drop-off and we end our days like so many of us, just sending each other dumb memes on Instagram. Sarah happens to have a really cool job. She's in the band Walk Off the Earth with her husband, Johnny, and our other buddies, Joel and Tokyo. And if you know the band, you might also know my brother-in-law who was the beard guy. Uh, Mike passed away about five years ago and going through that with Sarah was definitely preparation for the trauma and shock of cancer being thrown into our world, our space, where we do everything we can to protect our kids. And now all of a sudden we couldn't. Right after we got the diagnosis and we were driving home from the hospital, I dropped off my husband and my daughter and I found an empty parking lot and I called Sarah. And that call was the first time that I heard myself say things like chemotherapy, hair loss, radiation, and it was all too much. And it escalated into this really primal breakdown, the kind where sounds and cries come out of you that you have never heard yourself make. But Sarah took it and she held it. And she sat there right beside me in the pain. She didn't try to make it better. She didn't bright side it. She didn't even say that much. She didn't have to. Because friendships like ours don't need words. Friendships like ours use actions. Like showing up. Doing what needs to be done. Picking each other up off the ground. Holding each other up and never letting go. She still hasn't. If you have a friend like this and a community like this, I know you'll relate to our conversation. We talk about gathering your army, delegating tasks, and how your family and friend group can support each other while they're keeping you afloat. If you're newly diagnosed and still trying to rally the troops, we give you some really good practical tools to share with your people so that you can focus all your energy on your child where it needs to be. 
And if you don't have someone yet who you can call from a parking lot and nearly die over the phone with, then you've come to the right place. That's what we're here for. That's what the deep sea community is here for. We'll be your life preserver. We'll be your lighthouse. So let's dive deep with Sarah. We start every day calling each other and we drop the kids off and then one of us calls the other. And then that's just kind of like the way our day begins. And we've been on that for years. And I love that. Like, I love that we start our day that way. It's my favorite, favorite part of the day. Yeah. I can't, if you don't answer, I, I don't call, know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I wait. <laughs> I wait to start my day. I won't even call someone else. Cause yeah. I'm like, if she She's calls back, back in the next yeah. three minutes, then I'm going to have to let the other person go. Yeah. Like the other person, my doctor's <laughs> calling. I got to go, you know? Oops. Yeah. You know. Sorry. I got to go to the doctor. Oh no, I got to go. Yeah. The dentist. Yeah. <laughs> it's the dentist. I, I missed my appointment. I got to go. So actually it's interesting because, you know, you think about the things that you miss the most, like when, when life turns upside down, which it did obviously for us. I miss that so much. That was one of the parts of my day that I missed so much was not having. <laughs> I was going to bring a box of tissues for real. <laughs> I didn't. Who's got I have them? toilet paper. Who's got them? Okay. We've got toilet. We got a roll of toilet, half a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. We'll share that. We'll and then good. we'll get down to the cardboard part. <laughs> you know, when you, you know, when you, have you ever used the cardboard part yes. when you run out of toilet paper yes. and you've got no option? You're like, well, cardboard's sort of absorbent. I, I use that part more often probably than, <laughs> than most. I'd like to than admit. Than I'd like to. I know. Because I don't have a spot in my bathroom yeah. for my spare toilet paper yet. I think we should come out more and talk about the fact that women need to use the cardboard part of the toilet paper roll. I agree. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> Hand <yeah>. towel. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've so, done it at your house, actually. <laughs> that is a compliment. Yeah. I take that as a compliment that you're comfortable enough to use my hand towel to wipe yourself <laughs> after going to the bathroom. Just, you know, let me know. Let me know next time. I, okay. <laughs> I do. I let you know by taking the towel and putting it on the floor. Oh, that's the sign. Okay. <laughs> So next oh time my. I'll know. Okay. <clears throat> so seriously, though, that was one of the things I missed because we, the whole, everything changes. Everything changes, as you know. And so a lot of the times when we're, when I'm here talking with a family, when we start our conversation about our experience with our kids' cancer, we start with um, the diagnosis story and parents will kind of, give their personal account of what that was like. And it's sort of when it all starts for people is the diagnosis. You obviously weren't in the room with us when that happened, but we got the news. Ellie was with us during that entire time. So you kind of have to hold it together. And then I remember we got home and I made up some excuse that I had to go to the store and buy something. And I got in the car and it was kind of the first time that I processed the gravity of what we had just learned. And I found a parking lot and I parked and I called you. And as I was processing words like chemotherapy, hair loss, radiation, all of these words were coming out of my mouth for the first time and they were all being dumped on you. <laughs> and I didn't even pay attention. Like it was just this like release, you know, which is what you do when you call your family, your best friends, your people, you, you don't have to edit, you know, it's a, it's a luxury that we have with each other. Yeah. But I've thought about that conversation a lot because while I was releasing, it means that you were gathering, you were, having to hold it. And I want to know what that felt like. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think 
when you have a connection like ours, there's there's no doubt that you're never not going to pick up the phone. You're never not going to be there. You're never not going to do whatever it is that you can to help support your best friend in any situation. This was uh, like you can't there's no words that we like we need a different word because you know when you called me that day first of all you're always the person that we go to to talk because you're such a good ear you always have good advice you things just flow out of you advice flows out of you as if you're just like I know what to do here's what here's what you need to do or here's what you should think of it like and so we're we're so reliant on you for us to be able to call you crying in situations and for you to help be able to help us figure it out. This was the first time that I had ever seen you that I don't want to say like vulnerable, but I just that fucked up. Yeah. About broken about broken. Yeah. And I mean, there were things before that too, right? A lot of little moments where it's like we're going to go do this this test is happening today then this is going to happen and then all of that that led up to the actual diagnosis and I just remember thinking like I was outside and I just was silent I just was listening to you and I just remember thinking like I just remember thinking like our lives are never going to be the same Mm-hmm. What is happening? How? How has this thing penetrated our circle, our family, our group, our lives? And what are we going to do? What are yeah. we going to do? Now what do we do? How how is how is Sam? How is Lee? How is Ellie? How is Oakley? How are all these how are they going to sleep at night? How are they like just a million things go through your mind? You know what interesting thing that I realized also, you and I have always had this very hyper awareness of bad things happening to the kids. We have that catastrophic thinking, right? We've had it since they were little. I mean, there have been so many times when the kids have had a funny bump or a funny bruise or a bad fever where we've been like, oh my God, you know, Google, 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 hospital, ambulance. I mean, I used to call the ambulance for nothing, right? Yeah. Because we were so paranoid about something bad happening to the kids. And, but I could always kind of convince myself, ah, you're being irrational. This is silly. Yeah. And you kind of distract yourself and you think about something different. This was not irrational. This was it. Like this was game time. This, it actually happened. Exactly. And the shock of that was massive. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to envision it happening I don't know if I ever thought of disease. Like, I don't think cancer was ever a thing I worried about. I worried more about like car crash stuff, like more dramatic things. But cancer's right up there with pretty much uh, like the worst things that could possibly happen to a kid. And then it happens. And so you're right. It's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How... We're never going to be the same. Yeah. No matter what the outcome. And yeah, it was, it was breaking. It was breaking. It was a fracture. To watch your friend or to listen to your friend be that broken and to be, and to know that this isn't just, okay, we're going to get something and a few days later it's going to be fine. Or she just needs to get some stitches and then she's going to be all right. Don't worry. You know, it was like, we don't know what the journey is or what the battle is going to be, but it's going to be hard. And what do we do? What do we do? I know what I did. I hung up the phone with you, put on a big pair of sunglasses, went into a store and bought broccoli, actually bought broccoli because that's the first thing you need when you find out your child (laughs) has cancer. You definitely need a big bunch of broccoli. Yeah. And I got back in the car and drove back to my house and opened my door to a new life. Like that was the moment where I was like this, like you said, it will never be the same again. And that's sort of that new life happened. And that's sort of when this bubble 
formed around us, the four of us. Yeah. Which happens on its own. It doesn't even really, you, you don't make it happen. It happens on its own. This protective bubble comes around your immediate unit. And I think about this because when you're in that bubble, you actually have control. Like I'm getting all the information from the doctors. I'm learning everything. I'm looking at Ellie every day. I have a form of control, not over the situation, but I get moments of control. You were on that first layer outside of the bubble. You know what I mean? Like you were so close, but you didn't get that control. You were in a place where you were you were like waiting for tidbits from me about what was going on. You were probably Googling stuff about what was going on. You also had your own idea of like what cancer looks like from like TVs and movies and stuff, right? So I think about how hard it would have been to be on that outer layer looking in to the people you love in an actual nightmare and not being able to have any control over it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, you explained it perfectly. It did really feel like you guys went into a bubble. And again, not in a way where it's like, we don't want anyone to penetrate this bubble. It was just, you guys became these like warriors. And you were like, we need to fight this. And then us on the outside, we're just like, okay, like, here I am. When I can, you know, come in and I can do things to help with a situation or to make something easier that is maybe just a regular Joe Schmo daily task that you just, you know, you don't have to deal with. And I think when that, when we realized that that's when us as friends decided like we need in an army, an army, we need an army. We need to build an army and we need to do it now. And that's how we are going to walk carry alongside, yeah. walk alongside and help and help carry whenever we can or help whatever it is that we can do. <laughs> I want to talk about the army because I think that is a massive takeaway, a massive part of any family's cancer experience. I really resist using the word journey, by the way. So, okay. you know what I mean? I just yeah. find it like so cheesy, but that's just me. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about the army, but I, I still, this is the first time we've ever really talked about what it was like watching it. And like, I know, for example, you had my son a lot. You had Oakley a lot. Oakley and, and I think a lot about how it must have felt for you to have him running around the house knowing what he's going home to or knowing what's going on in his life. And, you know, I wonder, did he ever talk about it? Did he, did you ever bring it up? Did the boys ever bring it up? Like, was there, or was it just normal? It was both. Yeah. I think I, I knew, I knew that one of the things that I could do and could do well was take Oakley. Yeah. Whenever he needed, whenever you guys needed to be somewhere early and he needed a place to go or, whatever it was, I knew that 100% that was going to be something that I was going to be able to to do. So that's why it was always like, what's Oakley doing? Where's Oakley? Do you, you know this, that he can come over and all that. But I remember in the beginning going upstairs one night to put Georgie to bed. And this was, this was right after we found out. And I was just like, what if this was Georgio? Mm what, what is happening? Like there's, again, there's not even a word, like we need to invent a word for this, this, all of it that just encapsulates all of it because, you know, fuck, you just can't say all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I just remember thinking, you know, like these are our kids. These are, this is our family. And yeah, Oakley coming over. He, I mean, Oakley is such a sweet little spirit and he would always just kind of do his thing and do, Oh, thank you. You know, he, he does his thing, but I did, I did eventually explain it to, to my boys, what was going on, you know, to the best of their age group or whatever. But 
you know, Giorgio, all he wants to do is sleep over at your house. Yeah. So for an entire year, he was like, when do I get to sleep at Sam's? When do I get to yeah. sleep? You know, and there was there was that side of things being, you know, for someone who's so close to you. And so we do so many things together to suddenly be like, you know, our visits are going to be a lot less and sleepovers are going to not really happen. And we need to make sure that, you know, everybody's healthy in, in this circle and Oh, it, it just it's really <sighs> circumstantial isn't it like it's hard it's a hard thing to say like how did you cope with us having cancer like there's a million different nuances to that and I fully get that because everything every day was different every scenario was different you know we needed you to help sometimes with Oakley sometimes we I needed to just talk to you as if everything was normal and so you were excellent at like reading the room. You always knew how to read the room and you always knew how to react in the way that I needed. And I wonder like, did you need support? Like, did you, how did you cope? Like, how did you cope with cancer so close to you? What did it feel like to have cancer that intimate in your life? Like, did you have, did you talk to other friends? Did did you guys have ways that you all supported each other that I wasn't aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the biggest things for us being on the outside was having our little network of people that we could talk to because as a mom, like yeah. that thought obviously is an, is a nightmare. And so to know that your best friend, your family is going through that, you can't help but feel sick at all times. So then you're thinking, well, what's Sam feeling like right now? If I'm feeling like this, she, like, what is she feeling like? But what I'm feeling like this, I can't turn to my best friend right now and say, hey, I'm struggling. I need you to yeah. talk this through with me because it just wasn't an option, obviously. So I think having, you know, like my sister and and a couple of really close people in our circle still for us to be able to talk to like there were times where we're on our closet floors crying and not knowing what to do not knowing what to say not knowing what to ask not knowing what is coming next and straight up just just being just sitting in it sitting yeah, in the sitting nightmare in yeah. sitting in the nightmare and being like well tomorrow's a new day Let's get to that day. You know, it's it's sitting in it, I think, is a skill that not a lot of people have and not a lot of people naturally know how to do, which is something that you and I have done before together. Mm -hmm. We've sat in grief together. We've sat in trauma together. And I think that's one of the reasons why you were such an amazing support through this is because you know trauma you've had loss and that's not to say that friends who haven't had traumatic experiences and haven't had loss that's not to say that they aren't also great supports it's just a different kind of support you knew how to sit in pain with someone you knew not to try to make it better there is no making it better and I mean, one of the big traumas we sat together with was the loss of my brother-in-law, your friend, your bandmate, Mike. That was extremely jarring. That was a massive fracture to our world. And we didn't know what to do. That was the most sudden, unfathomable loss and I think that's when you and I, without speaking about it, without ever really having a conversation about it, we both just knew the way through this is to sit in it. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've had, my sister is actually really good at situations like this. And she'll constantly say things like, I am there to sit in the dark with you. Yeah. I'm there to sit in the dark with you. And I think that's, probably one of the most impactful things because yeah I mean what what are we gonna say don't worry Sam Ellie's gonna be fine yeah everything's gonna be okay 
All that tells me, like if you say that, if not you obviously, but when someone says that to you, all that says to me is you are not someone I can talk to. Yeah. That's all it is. Like yeah. anyone who tried to make it better or who tried to disqualify the pain or tried to like shine it up, I would just look at you and be like, and done. Like it's over. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. So, and we have friends like that. And again, it's not their fault. No, sometimes it's just, that's no, they don't know what else to say. But don't worry, everything's going to be fine. But, you know, it's like, unless you're wearing a white lab coat with a stethoscope around your neck and you have, you know, 20 years of oncology experience, those are the only people who I'm really going to listen to when they say it's going to be fine. Yeah. Other than that, it's not, it doesn't mean anything. It just is the biggest no no platitude. It's a stupid thing to say. Yeah. And what if it's not? Then, exactly. Then, then you become a person that that won't be equipped to to deal with the situation, whatever the outcome may be. Right? Don't worry. It's going to be. It's almost like saying, "I can't handle what's going on," or "I don't. I refuse to see the the truth," or "I refuse to see the reality of this." And the first thing I can think of is, you know, "Don't worry. It's going to be fine," or "They're in a better place." You know, th- those type of sayings. Yeah. They're not helpful. <laughs> Can I ask you what, like, do you remember what some of the things were that you needed when you were, like, I like to call it a place where it's like, you're one minute you're at a place where you can breathe, like you can breathe the air. And then something so massive happens that you're suddenly thrown into a place where there is no air. That's kind of the way I feel that fracture happens it's like you're breathing and then you can't breathe yeah and I know you've been there I know you've been to the places where you can't breathe and you have to struggle to even stay alive because it hurts so much right yeah do you have any ways that you were able to soothe yourself or any coping strategies that you used when you've been in that place before I mean, when I was in the place when it was like directly toward, you know, towards me or something that was, I think, being in that place is really rough. And I, now that I'm thinking about it, I just remember, (laughs) like when my mom died, for example, I remember finding other ways like how do I sleep because I just want to be sleeping I don't want to be awake right now I don't want to be thinking about this I want to be in another place where this isn't affecting me so it was trying to find ways to not think about it but that's it's impossible so every waking moment you're in there and you're thinking about it I think turning, I think for me, I like to be able to do things. So even, you know, when Mike died, it was like, how can I do something? How can it, action? You need an action. action. Yeah. I need an action. I need to. And it's not like, you know, it can be anything from organizing a group to like to going shopping and just dropping stuff off or anything like that. So I think for me when it came to you guys my first initial thought was like we with this army we need to be able to make all the regular life stuff as easy as possible who do we need to do that who's going to be the best at this at this at this and putting that group together you know not only to be able to contribute in whatever way that we can for you guys but to also have the support system for us too this is our place you guys to talk about when we're feeling it don't go to Sam. Don't project any of that stuff onto onto Sam or Lee or anyone. This is our place. Here's where we're going to so do it. And so you guys started a WhatsApp group. Yeah. And I was not on it. I had no idea what was happening on that group. It was just friends and community support, right? Yeah. And I think that's a good place to start. If we wanted to share some of the tools like if this is if a family's listening right now 
where they've just been diagnosed or they're during they're in treatment and they are being bombarded with people asking them, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? I want to help. There's for me personally, that question was homework. You're now giving me work. Yeah. Asking me what I need is making me put my energy elsewhere. And yeah. I didn't have that energy to waste. So we formed, or sorry, you guys formed this WhatsApp group and it became the base, like, you know, base camp. And yeah. <laughs> you all used that group, I'm sure for support, you know, like emotional support, but also to mobilize and to put things into action. Like you said, it was brilliant and it helped alleviate all of that pressure from my side. I wrote one text, maybe like once a week that was posted on that WhatsApp group. And that text had, you know, this is how Ellie's doing. This is what we need. I love you. Bye. Yeah. A lot of families use social media for that. No problem. You, that's a great, if that works for you, then hashtag away. Yeah. I didn't feel comfortable doing that during treatment. So that's why the WhatsApp group worked. It was small, it was private, and it was effective for yeah. us, right? Yeah. So that's a great tool for families who need to organize their army. Yeah. Having some base for everyone to come together was, I thought, an excellent idea. Yeah. And I mean, everybody plays a role too, right? In that group. There's some people who are not that close to you in the group. And there's some people that are very close to you in the mm -hmm. group. And everybody had their role. And I think as one of your closest friends and as someone who knows you very well, it was easy for me to figure out the things that I knew you were going to need. You know, I know you hate cooking <laughs> and can't do it. I'm the same. Yeah. And so one of the first things was like meals, you know, and yeah. I, I know that's a common thing, but those can be debilitating thinking oh. about what to cook on, on a, a regular day. day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there were things that we knew we were like, this is, this is happening and this is happening and this is going to at least make this portion of life easier. Because, you know, some people will say, how can I help? And then they do something and you're like, that actually made it more work for me, <laughs> you know? Oh, that happened all the time. So, And again, <laughs> it's like you you don't ever want to come across ungrateful or that you're taking advantage of someone's kindness. Oh, my God. But at the same time, some people's uh, way of supporting was like so misaligned and it was so not us. Yeah. And that's again why I'm so lucky I had you because I know you were like frontline, like, nope, yes, yes, no. And um, it, yeah, it just worked brilliantly for us. I think another thing that I want families, this family support system to know, which again, you did so brilliantly, was you didn't change around me. You know, a lot of times people feel awkward or scared or uncomfortable because they don't know how to act around this devastating situation. Yeah. And so they put on that like, hi, voice. Are you, how are you? And there's like the head tilt and like the pursed lips, you know, and they kind of like have this concerned look on their face and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you talking to me? Like I, Come on, it's still me. Yeah. You did that so well. And again, I think it's because you know you've been on the receiving end of that fake, weird energy that comes at you and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. You didn't do that. Yeah. I I mean, again, I think this comes with if you've experienced tragic situations in your life, you get you become more comfortable around other people's yes, tragedies. Exactly. Right. And you're able to sit and be like, yeah, let's I don't what's up? Like how you you know, let's it's just normal. Um, Mind you, in the back of our minds or in the back of my mind thinking, you know, our lives are never going to be the same. Yeah. What if Sam is never the same? You I know? remember you saying that to me. 
And I know you're not going to ever be the same. None of us are after something like this. But, you know, it was like, what if things just never go back? But at the same time, you're committed. It's like, well, then they'll never go back. And this is going to be who we are. And we're going to figure that out, too, somehow. We got back from Florida from radiation. I hadn't seen you in two months. And... You and Johnny came over with the kids and you sat down at the island with me. I was like, I look back to how I must have looked and <laughs> I I know I'm. you must have been in your head thinking, oh my God, we have work to do. No one like, was judging. Oh, Sarah, <laughs> I was in a sweatsuit that could have been washed once that year. I don't even know. I know for a fact I hadn't like bathed. I was bottom, bottom of the barrel. Shit, awful. Life was not okay. And you sat down on the islet, at the island with me and you sat across from me and you looked at me. It was like the first time we had like made eye contact in two months. <laughs> and you said, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, I know, what the fuck? And when you did that, I was like, I'm home. It's normal. You didn't come in with flowers and the lasagna. And like, you know, you came in as you and you looked at me and we were like, Jesus Christ. And that brought me back. It brought me back in ways I will never be able to tell you. It brought me back because it was like, okay, like you just said, will Sam ever be herself again? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I will. I'll be better. You'll be better. But just having you see it and having you be so accepting of the situation gave me the door. You opened a door for me back to the life that I love and miss and wanted to be in, you yeah. know? So that's, I, I remember you, like, I remember saying to other, a couple other people in the closest part of our little group, Sam needs a facelift. No, <laughs> <laughs> we need to book her in. Yeah. <laughs> she needs a facial. <laughs> no, not at all. Because her brows look really No, bad. but it wasn't okay. like that. It I'm wasn't kidding. an outer thing. It was an internal thing. Yeah. And we could see it. Like I saw, it was almost like there was a cloud. I don't know how to describe it because, I mean, we all have looked like shit in different situations in our sweatpants and our no makeup and whatever. We're tired or we're exhausted. This was deeper than that. Mm. This was like you looked like a different person because you were a different person. And, you know, here we all are just like hoping and and hoping that someday we could see that light in you again. And that was one of the hardest parts. It was like, what if the light never comes back in my friend? And that is okay. Like I'll fucking hold her hand through all that shit too, you know, no matter what happens. But it was, it was really hard because you're such a bright light and so is Ellie. So to see you guys both in this, like, again, with lack of a better term with this fucking cloud, above you that was just following you everywhere like that's really what we wanted to do we just wanted to like pull the cloud away yeah and let and see that brightness again and not knowing timelines not knowing how long not knowing exactly what the diagnosis was going to be not to mention it wasn't just one diagnosis and then you guys did some treatment and then it was done right it was the diagnosis then it was the here's a treatment plan Then it was, let's start the treatment plan. And then it was, oh, maybe this treatment plan's not really going to be the treatment plan that's Mm going to help or even do anything. Yeah. And we're not going to know those answers. And we're not going to know any answers for weeks at a time. Yeah. Weeks and weeks and weeks. And actually, this is something I wanted to ask you, too, because going about your normal every day, knowing that this is happening is really tough for everyone, right? Obviously, your whole life changed because you're, you're, you're not, you're no longer going to the grocery store just to go get dinner. Like you're going to sick kids now 
every week. You're going to Florida. You got to rent this place. You got to go and you're going to be in this hospital every day doing rounds and rounds of this and that. Whereas we're just like, I would drop my kids to school. And then, you know, we, we ended up going on a trip and that's one of the reasons why we didn't see you. And I remember thinking like, do I cancel this trip? Do I stay home? What do, what do I do? Do we like, I want to be there for every moment of this. I want to make sure that I'm there and make sure that Sam doesn't feel like we all just are fucking off and, and living our lives. But at the same time, would that have done, would it have changed anything? Does it help? Does it make a difference? And I think one of the things that we were very conscious of when we went and did end up going places was a lot of the, like not praying, but a lot of the wishing and hoping that we did just can't kind of came into our Mm -hmm. other environment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, 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 to be honest, I was worried. I was like, is she going to feel like I'm not being a good friend because I've decided to no. go and play this show or go oh and do God. this thing or this No, and because that. that would have been you not being normal. Yeah. And then that would have made me so upset. Yeah. That would have made me feel weird. Oh my God. Imagine, like flip it for a sec and imagine if something absolutely unimaginable was happening to you and I over here like did, you know, didn't keep living my normal life. You know, when you're in something that's so chaotic and and like disorienting and you don't know what's up or what's down like i used to describe going through treatment with ellie as being thrown out of plane but never landing like you know you can imagine like falling through the air you're kind of craving that like impact you yeah. need it to end yeah but it never came and so it was just like this endless free fall and it was so uncomfortable it felt so gross in your body to be just falling nonstop yeah. every day you wake up and you're falling you're falling you're falling you're falling when you kept doing normal things that gave me a structure that gave me like like a shape oh life is still going on with sarah she's playing a show she's going to her trip she's taking you know, life is happening still the boys are still at school that made that free fall feel less terrifying that's so interesting yeah because I think from our perspective it's like everyone needs to stop right now stop what you're doing yeah and be still just it's so interesting you know like ready 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 for whatever I think that is such an important point again for families who are mobilizing their army to remind everyone that the more normal you keep things, the better it is for that family. Yeah. The second that you change your beat, your rhythm, it's like a dance, right? Yeah. If you and I are both dancing and you change the steps, I can't dance. Yeah. I don't know those steps, right? So you keep doing your steps. I'll keep doing my steps. It's going to be sloppy and messy, but we'll get through it because we're the same. Yeah. And that's that helped me the most and in the meantime we got your christmas decorations covered don't worry we got people coming over to set up the tree (laughs) when we talked when i did this with lee i brought up the christmas and i couldn't even get through it i was like so messy crying because that was that was insane that was well that's another thing that i think we all benefited from was watching human kindness Mm -hmm. firsthand we all hear the stories, you know, we all hear, we read about them. We follow them on, you know, social media about the nice kid who helps the old lady across the street. And we get that little warm feeling. Oh, that's so nice. But like to actually be part of a movement that is making someone's life better feels so good. Yeah. You know, and the decorating of our house at Christmas, the food, the, Childcare, the never ever having me worry about where my son was. I hope that felt good for you too, in a way. You know what I mean? I know it was a lot of work, but I think there is something about the the people who are giving are also receiving. They're also feeling that, oh man, I'm so glad I can be 
doing something good. I can do this. Yeah. That's, I mean, 100%. There's things that I knew I could do. Yeah. That would change the way a day went. Yeah. For you guys. And so that stuff was, you know, easier than there's a lot of people too in the group that maybe don't kind of see really what's going on, you know, and they kind of make suggestions that this is another good thing that the group is for before somebody, you know, just goes direct to you and does something. It's kind of nice to have it filtered through some people because it might not be the right thing for you at that moment, Mm -hmm. you know, um, sending you something or, you know, I remember at one point there was talk in the group about getting Ellie a bunch of beanies to Mm -hmm. wear. And this was at the very beginning. This was before she had started her treatment, really. This was just right when everything was starting. And, you know, then we would say to the group or to that individual separate, depending on what it was, the suggestion, you know, it might not be the time for that, guys, because she still has, you know, six weeks before she's going to lose her hair. Let's not remind them right. that this is coming. Mm-hmm. Not they don't need reminders. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's we know there's I'm sure there's a schedule. <laughs> yeah, that's just 24 seven rolling around in oh, their heads. Interesting. I didn't know that that kind of stuff was going on. So it, it was a good place to go if you had a suggestion for something to filter it or to make sure that the timing was going to be right. You know, and then there was the the small group of us that could be in contact with you and judge where you were at without even asking you. Well, that's the thing about grief and trauma. There's no hard edge. It's a very malleable, moving, fluid thing. It changes day to day. It can change week to week. What, 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 What might work one day won't work in a month from now. So to be able to have people that were aware of that movement and to know that, okay, today, Sam, no lasagnas. In two weeks, we need a thousand lasagnas, please. Like, you don't know, right? (laughs) But you guys moved with it. And I think that's also a really important takeaway for families that are, again, trying to find and, and develop a support group is to have an understanding that you're probably not gonna get thank yous. None of it's going to make sense, but that's okay. You just follow along. And when that cloud passes, which it will, it has, you might not think it's going to, but it does. Yeah. Then things will start to make sense. Then the support group can start thinking, okay, we got through it. You know, we went through this experience with this family together. And, you know, I... I talk to a lot of families about how on the other side, is there anything that you can look back on that you found that changed you? You know, like what what parts of it were maybe beautiful to to come up with like a lack of a better word. You know, that saying that I've said so many times is, you know, if you're going to go to hell, don't come back empty handed, like learn some stuff when you're down there. Yeah. Did you learn anything when you were down there? Like has, has going through cancer with us changed your lens, your perspective, your parenting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one catastrophic thinking is justifiable because it does happen. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the next time I'm driving down the street and I think a car is going to hit me and I'm wondering, well, which one of us is going to die first. I know that those things actually happen. Or, <laughs> or Sarah, you could think, well, if it does happen, at least I know we could get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, taking, yeah, there, there's a lot that you, I guess, take home or take, take away with it. Um, but I think, the biggest thing is just knowing that we are not untouchable and the, those moments putting my kids to bed thinking, how is my best friend going through this? How is my niece going through this right now? What if this was one of my kids? Like th- It was so close that I could almost feel mm-hmm. what it would feel like if it was them. It was very close to that 
And I mean, a lot of the, you know, I think with anything tragic, with anything big, you, you, you get a different perspective on life and you think, well, this, that I thought, you know, I thought this mattered before, but it actually doesn't. And I thought this mattered before, but it actually doesn't. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just we're in this life together and you, and when you have your people and your group and your family there, it doesn't matter what happens. Mm -hmm. You sit with them, you sit with them in the dark, you sit with them in the light, you do it. And you're, you just, you just do it. I don't know. I can't, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause there was a million, a million times when I would think to myself or say to you, like, you know, with the six weeks you waited to find out um, if the genetic the stuff. Ellie had yeah. the gen- the gene, and then maybe you know that type of thing. Six weeks, like what? <laughs> you know how? How? But I think one really helpful thing was, um, like those beautiful moments. That was a beautiful moment. I, that was one of the moments that I remember the most. Is when you told us about the genetic stuff with Ellie and that what everything you had already done up until then might not even work, work Mm -hmm. or matter or any of that. And then obviously the outcome was going to be very different. And you just said, I want you all to wish or pray or Mm -hmm. whisper into the universe. Ellie's negative. Ellie's negative. Ellie's negative. I remember that being something that I could be really good at. (laughs) It's like, this is something I can do for sure. Like I can, I can talk to the ocean and I can talk to this waterfall and I can touch this rock and I can do a painting and I can do this and I can write it down and I can do this. And that was one of the most beautiful moments was that phone call and getting the results from that because it had just been like, bam, 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 bam up until then. Yeah. And I think that might have been the first real, like, bigger than a glimmer of hope. Absolutely, it was. Of I hope. Mean, yeah, it was. We were waiting for genetic results, and we didn't know if any of Ellie's treatment would work based on this genetic mutation that she did appear to have, and then we found out she didn't have But in that waiting time, I'd asked everyone to do whatever they needed to do, whatever way they communicate with their higher being, whatever it is that they need to do, whether that's be in the ocean, whether that's go to a church, whatever it was to please just say the words, Ellie is negative as many times as they could. And that movement worked. Yeah. It worked. So I, I think you're absolutely right that being a part of that energy would have been profound. When the cloud has cleared, which for us, it feels like it has. Uh-huh. And I hope I'm not being super naive when I say that. No. Um, I still need a facelift, but it's well, not because I have a cloud over me anymore. <laughs> We're definitely dragging some shit behind us right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, and I remember the moment when I knew you were back. I remember just like I knew you were gone yeah. for a little bit. I remember seeing you for the first time when I knew you were back and I knew things were going to be okay. And that moment, I mean, was, I'll never forget it. And I think we're just so great. I mean, everybody's so grateful. I don't want to be cheesy, but like, holy shit, are we ever happy that this is the way that we're able to come out of this? Because we didn't want it any other way. (laughs) We did not want that cloud to keep following. But if it did, we would still be there. But life afterwards or at least now, this period of time in our lives, again, looking back, it's kind of like a big blur. Mm -hmm. It's like there's details, but there's just blur. 
I'm okay leaving it as a blur. Yeah. We don't need to define it. Right? Yeah. Hell no. I don't need to fine tune any of that. Let's leave it as a blur. And I think moving forward, what I'd like to do is bring forward anything that is good from it. Yeah. And that's it. I do not need to remember the cloud. Yeah. It can go. There's no point. Why? Why would you ever focus on a storm? Yeah. Let's focus on what we can bring from it. And, you know, I think, I think we are, I think we are, I think we just have a new appreciation and it's so, it's so cliche, but it's the truth. Like it is. And also I think just to sum it up, to be able to have friendship where you can be that vulnerable and raw and honest and scared and you have someone to sit in pain with, man, that's a good friend. That's a good friend. Yeah. And uh, so thanks. Uh, I mean, I'm, thank you. <laughs> I'll call you later. <laughs> Call you later. Okay, bye. Call you in five minutes. <laughs> Calling you now. <laughs> One of my favorite authors is Bell Hooks. She's a famous educator and activist, and she said this wonderful quote that has always stuck with me that no one is healed in isolation. If we don't have connection, if we don't have an outlet or a witness, I don't think that we can properly process our pain. Therapy works for so many of us. It definitely works for me. A connection to a higher power works for people. I just can't help but always come back to this idea that sharing our stories with each other around a fire, around a kitchen table. It's the way to do it. It's the way to heal. It's that ancient ritual of gathering, confessing, and telling our most vulnerable truths that bond us together, that become the foundation to our community, to our village. Because when we hear someone share their story, it gives us permission to share ours. My hope for you is that you have a Sarah to sit at a kitchen table with, or in our case, an empty parking lot with, to just release. Someone who will sit with you, who won't try to make it better or try to solve it. You know, a lot of friendships during my daughter's treatment uh, changed. I had to let go of some people in my life who just couldn't really hold the space for what our family was going through. I had friends who said really dumb things to me, like, I know how you feel. My daughter has a fever too. Or like friends who would unload on me about how their kid wasn't getting picked for a sports team or how their kid wasn't sleeping well and having nightmares while I was literally living one. And I don't fault these friends. I really don't. They don't know better. They haven't been to this place that we all know. And I don't have the energy anymore for people who haven't been here or people who can't sit here with me. I'm so lucky to have Sarah. She's such a pro at sitting in the shit. She's so good at listening and at making me laugh. I love you, Sarah. Thank you for doing the podcast today. And you know that I will sit beside you in whatever gets tossed our way for the rest of time for life. But listen, if you're still looking for your community, for your people to sit around a kitchen table with and talk about how hard this is, talk about what this pain feels like, you have to come find us. No one is healed in isolation. Please come sit with us. Come sit by our fire. You are not alone. I promise there are so many of us here waiting for you waiting for you in the deep sea. 
A huge thanks to Ian Blackwood for his beautiful, moving song, Carry Me to Water. Thank you to my dear friend, Kate Mitzi, for the logo design, to the Deep Sea community for the massive love and support, and most of all to my little girl who taught me that the deeper you dive into the darkness of the ocean, the more buried treasure you will find. Until next time, that's where you'll find me.